Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Hello. Welcome to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan. Just about all of our speakers have talked about the importance of lifestyle choices, especially a natural, healthy diet. Most of our speakers have talked about the gut. But how do we, as listeners, as normal people, make this happen? What do we do? Well, our guest today is Jeanette Hyde, and she will help us on looking at the gut, which many of our speakers have mentioned is kind of behind most of the modern diseases and the chronic diseases. So Jeanette Hyde is a London-based practicing registered nutritional therapist, uh, registered at Banff, um, has a BSc and a CNHC. She specializes in helping people improve their digestive systems, skin, mood, memory, and immune system through her innovative gut approach. The welcome side effect of this work for many is weight loss. She is the author of The Gut Makeover, which came out in December 2015, and The Gut Makeover Recipe Book that came out in June of last year. This has reached thousands of people in the UK, Australia, and New Zealand, and has resulted in improved health for many. The Gut Makeover has been published by Bloomsbury in the US and Canada in May 2017. It's currently being translated into Russian and Spanish, so it will be in those countries soon. She practices nutritional therapy, one-to-one groups, and on her popular retreats in Spain and UK. She's a regular speaker on the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, and is featured in The Times, The Daily Telegraph, and numerous magazines and websites. She's involved in the gut-brain research at St. Mary's University in London, and she shares her practical tips in cooking for digestive health and interviews on her Facebook page, which is The Gut Makeover, and on our website, which is JeanetteHyde.com. She will mention these again at the end of our session. So welcome, Jeanette. Hello, Susan. Yeah, glad you could visit us from over the pond. So uh, can you sum up in a couple of sentences what your gut makeover approach is all about? Yes. Um, Well, it's all about this gut bacteria that we have, and uh, we have, as sure you know, trillions of bacteria living in our digestive system. And it used to be thought, you know, by the medical community and everybody that this gut bacteria was benign and of very little um, interest to us whatsoever. And then there's been this avalanche of research over the past few years which have told us that is completely wrong and that this bacteria is absolutely key to all our health. So my approach and my book and the way that I practice with my clients as well is all about manipulating this gut bacteria so that it works for you and so that it gives you the best health it can. Okay, well, how does this gut bacteria affect our health? Um, how, how is it involved in our general well-being? Well, the, the thing is that you need to have, there are two, two sort of, basic principles. 
we've got this, you know, three to four pounds of this bacteria there, and we need it to be in really good shape. And when I say good shape, what that means is you need to have um, lots of the sort of friendly bacteria flourishing and thriving. And, you know, we all have some pathogenic, not very friendly bacteria in the gut as well, but those need to be in the minority, And the other thing that you need to make sure is that, you know, these friendly bacteria, there are lots and lots of different varieties and types of them. So when you get this variety, this diversity, you know, it's a city, it has to be really diverse, then you get into, you have what is, you know, a really, really healthy microbiome. It's called a microbiome. So a healthy microbiome is linked with, um, you know, having really good weight. So, and that was that was quite interesting because we're all in the 20th century. If you're as old as me and being brought up in that century, it's, it was all about calories in and calories out and, um, you know, low fat this and low fat that. So once you get into the microbiome world, you eat in a completely different way because you want, you're, you're not feeding you, you actually feed the the bacteria. So you want to be feeding them all the right stuff. So when you feed them the right stuff and you've got lots and lots of diversity and the friendly ones are all happy and blooming away, then it has this sort of knock-on effect on things like your hunger hormones and it sort of your metabolism and um, your immune system and even your mood and your, and your brain health as well. So you're saying if the gut bacteria is not balanced and is not healthy, it can adversely affect autoimmune diseases, brain health, uh, heart health, weight, etc.? Absolutely, and there's lots of research telling us that now as well. And um, so it, it, it makes you eat in a, in a completely different way, and it also means that you, you, as I say, you're eating for to get the bacteria really healthy, thriving, lots of different types. And then, I mean, I've just worked with so many people on a one-on-one basis in my groups, but then there are hundreds of people who've reported straight back to me who've read the book and had really wonderful effects. You know, basically, my, my book is saying for four weeks, start to, you know, eat using these principles and, and see how far you get. And so, you know, people have been, you know, skin is one of the ones that people see a lot of great improvements on. Um, you know, things like the adult acne and psoriasis and um, eczema and a lot of inflammatory disorders because, you know, inflammation, it can be very affected by your the health of your microbiome. And then there are, you know, um, you know the... the um, uh, you know, mood as well. I've just been, you mentioned it at the beginning there, I've been involved with St. Mary's University here in London and um, we've just looked at a small sample of people, 21 people measuring, you know, 71 symptoms um, at the beginning of the four-week gut makeover and after. Um, the people who were in this group came mainly for weight loss, but we, we gave them the functional medicine, medical symptoms questionnaire before and after, just sort of capture so people can see, you know, what progress there is. You know, often there's so many little sort of niggly things in your health that you kind of put up with and you know that they're there. But it's only when you, when they're gone, you, you often when they're gone, you don't even remember that you have them. That's why I often get people to fill out these questionnaires. So anyway, these questionnaires we looked at before and after 
And there was a 70% improvement in people's overall health. But one of the really big areas that we saw improvements on were things like mood and anxiety. Very interesting. Um, Yeah, I mean, I would like to recapture, uh, reiterate what some of our previous guests have said about the gut, that if the gut is unhealthy and it becomes permeable and things go in and out, it starts a huge chain of inflammation and oxidative stress. Things going in and out will set off an autoimmune reaction, which will react with various tissues, and it could be the start of most of the autoimmune diseases that we are plagued with, and could well be the start of many chronic diseases and even plays a role in autism. As for mental health, uh, we're going to have uh, Dr. Greenblatt uh, on the show talking about ADHD and Dr. Walsh talking about various diseases, and he'll they'll reiterate the importance of the gut and you know, natural, um, healthy choices. So, okay. Um, and how, and how did you get interested in this subject? Well, it, it was, it started with just sort of reading, you know, all the stuff that was coming out on, you know, PubMed and, you know, Medscape and, you know, all the stuff that I'm sure you have an inbox that you know, fills up with all the kind of new um, headlines of what's happening in the research world. And then, you know, I started using this approach with clients and seeing really, really good results. And and that's when I started just putting it all together in, 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 in the book in one place, you know, basically all the stuff that was actually working. Because one of the other things that I find as a, as a sort of at the coalface practitioner sitting in a room with real people is there can be loads and loads of research, you know, out there about you know, things, you know, like the, the microbiome, but there isn't actually that much, even still, about human beings and what's working in actual practice. So I've had to sit in the room and I've had to learn a huge amount all, you know, with my, my clients have taught me so much in actual everyday practice, what works, what they can do, how far they can get, which things do work, which don't work. And um, so that's why I was so... Um, pleased to be involved with the St. Mary's on that just 21 people thing because I think the more research we've got out there about what's working in clinical practice, the more that can help just many, many more people. And um, so, but the other thing was my own personal journey is I was just, um, in the past, you know, I before I even became a nutritional therapist, I, I was one of these people who yo-yo dieted and it was so frustrating and um, I had a had a big burnout and I just knew in my heart of hearts that there was something not right with the kind of orthodox uh, recommendations for, you know, what was so-called healthy eating and what was um, good to, you know, manage your weight. It just didn't make any sense. You know, I'd do all that low-fat rubbish and I'd count all those calories and I'd lose a bit of weight and then I'd feel absolutely dreadful and catch a cold and, you know, and then and then, and then then start all over again going back to the calorie counting, which has nothing to do with, you know, the um, quality of what you're putting in there. And it made no sense at all. And, and, and I just with this message about the gut and gut bacteria and what you can do very, very practically to manipulate it and get it working for you. I, I, I just so want to spread the word as far as possible. I was originally a journalist, you see, and that's when I had my burnout and that's when I was doing all the wrong things. And I've got been through all this training and out the other side and here I am 10 years later. But now I've, I've, I've 
I've been as a journalist, as an ex-journalist, it was really interesting for me to be able to read first-hand research, but then, you know, use it with clients and see what was working, but then translate it into everyday practice. And as a journalist, you often are a translator. You're taking complicated subjects and you are making them that even a nine-year-old could read them. So, okay, so in addition to healthy skin, weight loss, and improvement of mood, what other uh, improvements and results have you seen from the makeover of their guts? Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. There are just so many. If you, um, I mean, abdominal um, fat and, you know, fat around the middle, people comment on that um, a lot as being, you know, the place that it goes from first. The other thing that is really interesting as well is energy levels massively improving, you know, and there has been a bit of research recently about chronic fatigue syndrome, ME, and that um, often people with ME have um, dysbiosis, which is, you know, your gut bacteria being out of balance and often having leaky gut as well. So that's been really interesting seeing, you know, just sort of adding these scores up before. So what is ME? What is ME? Um, I can't remember what the full name is. Nowadays, it's often called chronic fatigue syndrome, CFS. Okay. Are you with me on that? Yeah. What do you call it in the U.S.? Chronic fatigue syndrome. Yeah, okay. So, um, and, and the other big thing that happens really, really quickly is people's sleep improves. And that's, that's very interesting as well because, you know, we have the vagus nerve, don't we, that goes from the, the brain to the gut. So it's just interesting to see that when, when people's gut bacteria starts to flourish and, you know, um, there's a better composition, the sleep improves. Okay. Uh, do you have to have an unhealthy gut to embrace your program? No, you don't. Um, all of us can benefit from eating to feed, feed the gut bacteria. So even if you're, you're not actually unhealthy, it's a really, really good way of eating to keep yourself um, uh you know, so that you, you, you don't get ill and, and that you keep yourself in good shape overall. So, you know, to be boosting the beneficial bacteria and getting that diversity in there is, is a really, really good thing to do. And especially the other thing is if sometimes you take, occasionally you've taken antibiotics or something like that, it's like a sledgehammer on your gut bacteria, then it's really, really important that you're thinking about some of these principles. But I, I recommend the makeover for, you know, just four weeks while you're having a gut bacteria restoration program. But after that, there are lots of principles you can just um, implement longer term. as just really good housekeeping. And so many people who've done this have just gone on and they, they automatically now eat a huge diversity of different fruit and vegetables every week. And they just do that as standard now. They, they, they've broadened their range hugely because the more different types of fiber and different color that you can feed your gut bacteria, then the more diversity you get in there and then that keeps you in good health. Can you uh, briefly summarize the approach that is in your book? Okay, so the main thing that you're doing is in, I, I, I take out of the diet some of the things that are maybe not quite so helpful to your microbiome. So it is a sugar-free program for a month. I also take out the grains for a month. 
my main rationale for doing that is that most of us are having too many white refined carbohydrates, beige colored foods, and we're not getting that variety in there that I keep talking about. And um, the other thing that I, I ask people to pause uh, for a month are the alcohol and the caffeine. And that's because um, I find with the alcohol, a lot of alcohol can, can lead to dysbiosis as well. And, and with the caffeine, with that one, it has, it's just so many people are so wired. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm basically um, getting, as a, you know, something like coffee, it's got polyphenols in that could in principle be feeding good bacteria in the gut. I find that a lot of people have a lot of digestive issues and their digestive issues improve a lot when they take out the um, the caffeine. So, you know, you need your parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and digest switched on for you to digest your food really well and all the rest of it. So I find that when people take the caffeine out, things really improve. And that was another thing I should have mentioned earlier on is when you are feeding, when, you're, when your gut bacteria is in balance, you should be having like the perfect stool movement one once a day, no bloating, no um, loose stools, no chronic constipation, all those gut issues usually really, really clear up. The IBS kind of things really clear up when your microbiome is in good health. So I've talked about the things that you take out of the diet, so now I'm going to talk about what you put in. So you, you, you basically have three main meals a day. Um, you, you, there's no portion control. You eat and chew your food properly, so you break it down well, and that helps the digestion too, and it um, uh, reduces the risk of having dysbiosis. You, um, so you load up on breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There's no snacking in between, and then there is a 12-hour overnight fast. And with each meal, you have a third protein and two-thirds of wonderful, brightly colored fruit and vegetables. You use extra virgin olive oil um, um, liberally as you want on, on the diet. That's where the Mediterranean influence is on this. The olive oil contains polyphenols, which feed the good bacteria in the gut, and it also makes you feel full up. And also it tastes delicious, hopefully. And so you eat these three meals a day, and then you have a 12-hour overnight fast. And the 12-hour overnight fast, again, is so easy to do. And it's one of these things that people take away from this plan, and they implement longer term, and they hardly notice they're doing it. But when you um, go without food for 12 or more hours, it um, allows time for certain gut bacteria to proliferate and regenerate. And that then can have a really good impact on your metabolism and your weight, but also many of the other things that I've mentioned as well. But um, it, it's just such an easy thing to do, a 12-hour overnight fast. And sometimes it's just a matter of looking at your clock when you've last eaten. Um, and, and, you know, because you've made that decision, not going back to the fridge later. Okay. And in the second two weeks, you could certainly add a lot more things back, like butter and ghee and bananas. And so uh, this does not sound like a very restrictive diet. No, I mean, people get a bit shocked when I talk about no alcohol, no sugar for a month. But, it, you know, the people, people once they, they're doing it, are, I mean, you go online, if you look on Amazon at the feedback and all that kind of thing, people are really seem to enjoy it. And, yeah, in the second half, what you're doing then is you are, I get you to load in lots of fermented foods and prebiotic foods. So fermented foods are things like fermented milk kefir and sauerkraut and miso. And I kind of have chosen kind of the ones that are a bit easier to get hold of, by the way. I know that lots, if you live it, 
I guess if you live in LA, you probably get hold of every fermented food that you want. Um, but, but I've tried to go for ones people are more likely to be able to get hold of. So the kefir, that's becoming more popular now. I was in the States recently. It's, it's being sold in many, many um, supermarkets. But fermented milk kefir, it's got tens of billions of bacteria. So when you drink it, you're parachuting a load of this probiotic bacteria into your gut, and it helps crowd out any sort of unhelpful bacteria down there. So, again, that really helps with weight, but all the immune system and all the other things that we've talked about and the digestive symptoms too. And then um, things like, you know, you might... I do encourage you with this plan to sort of tailor it to, you know, your particular um, body because some people, they, you might have... Um, uh, be intolerant of the proteins that are, that are in milk, for instance, you know, like the casein and the whey. So in which case, after those two weeks, when you try the kefir, if you suddenly get terrible bloating and you suddenly come out in spots, you know, or, um, you know, something returns, then you have quite a good indication that um, these uh, that dairy may not be for you, and that's why, you know, if, if that's the case, then I would say have sauerkraut or miso or whatever. But with the, um, if you are okay with dairy, then put it in because it's for many, many people very, very beneficial to the microbiome. And I've got lots of shakes that you can do. So it is, I try to make things quick as well. So you, you know, you pour that, you, I think you call it kefir, don't you, rather than kefir? Correct. Yeah, okay. So you, you literally pour the kefir into your Vitamix or your Nutribullet or whatever you've got. And um handful of berries, which have got, you know, all the, polyphenols in it to feed the good bacteria in the gut as well so maybe a tablespoon of flax seeds which also feed the bacteria and when the bacteria eat you know the fiber and things like flax seeds they produce a fuel that helps to keep the mucous membrane in the small intestine in really good shape and help you to it helps repair leaky gut so do you see what i mean about if you go straight in of targeting your gut bacteria as the number one thing you get all the knock-on benefits even if there's a leaky gut going on and hopefully because you've taken out of the diet anything that might be aggravating your leaky gut it leads to more repair. And what do you think about the potato, which has been previously demonized? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That was a real surprise to me because when I was re- researching this book and I was looking at all the papers on prebiotics, cold potatoes kept popping up time and time again. And if you think about I was writing this a couple of years ago when we were probably in the uh, peak of uh, paleo, weren't we? It was... The potato was considered, you know, the 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 food of, you know, you know, um, the demon. So I was really surprised to learn about cold potatoes, just how beneficial they are to your health, and they have a completely different um, impact on your blood sugar to to how I had thought they had. So I now I use cold potatoes in this, and I encourage you to have things like, um, you know, salads that you cut cold potatoes up into, and um, you know, take them in lunch boxes, and you know, just generally enjoy them. But the thing about the cold potato is when the potato cools down, it um, forms a type of starch called resistant starch. And you can't, it's impossible for this kind of fiber, this resistant starch to be digested and broken down in the top half of the digestive system. So it has to travel all the way down to your colon, which means it makes you feel quite full up as well. And then in the colon, 
the good bacteria have like a feeding frenzy on, on that resistant starch. It, they are very happy with that. And so it helps to um, feed all that good bacteria in your gut. But, you, you know, I was talking just now about your blood sugar levels and, you know, how potatoes were demonized and all the rest of it. Cold potatoes is a completely different kettle of fish. And the other really interesting thing about the microbiome is that if you have a healthy microbiome, it has been shown that it, it helps you, um, your, your blood sugar control better as well. Yes, so cold potatoes are an excellent source of resistant starch, which is very healthy for us. Uh, what okay. about uh, virgin olive oil? There's been some con- conflict about that, and there's been stories about it being tainted and unhealthy sources. Yeah, okay, I'm not, the sources are going to are going to be up to you. So if you are deciding to start using extra virgin olive oil, I would say you need to do your research and you need to be, buying it from somewhere you feel happy and comfortable with. Once you, if, if you are sourcing extra virgin olive oil that really is extra virgin, it, it, it can be extremely helpful and beneficial. It, it's an actual, I see it as a medicine. And also I find it very interesting that people, you know, in the past we were being told, oh, you know, olive oil, it's like all that sunflower oil. When you heat it up, it produces, you know, free radicals, it's carcinogenic, you know, it's really terrible for you. But what happened was with this book, when I started looking at all the research around that, it was, it was um, I could see, that, I, and I don't know how this got into the public domain, what, what was happening was that you could see that, that extra virgin olive oil is, is very has a lot of polyphenols in it. Polyphenols, are, you know, in the, in the color in in um, the oil and in fruit and vegetables, and they're, they're 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 a type of antioxidants. And extra virgin olive oil, which is the one that's only been, um, it's the first pressing of the olive, so it's the purest. It has the highest number of polyphenols in it of any olive oils. So if you are going to cook with any olive oil, I say cook with extra virgin. Yes, it is the expensive one, but it's got the highest number of polyphenols in it. And the polyphenols protect it from any, from the damage or any potential damage. And when you start looking at the studies, you can be um, frying olive oil for 30 minutes or so with the polyphenols staying intact. They do go downhill the longer that you cook with it. But for many of us, the first half an hour, we, we, we could be getting a lot of benefits from it. And okay, the other thing that could really convince me now, on this... So was, let us continue on this note on olive oil when we return. And we'll be right back with you after the break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. The largest syndicated alternative health talk program has come to the Voice America Network. The Dr. Bob Martin Show is the program that will answer your health questions and help you to heal your own body of many different ailments. Each week, you'll hear the answers that Dr. Bob gives to his callers that help them to be their own doctor most of the time. We'll also discuss developments on the health care front and what you need to do to keep your body in top form. The Dr. Bob Martin Show airs Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Did you know that nearly a third of Americans have made us the number one country in obesity rates in the world? 
It's true. It's time for Right Choices. Tune in every week for the show that aims to make you healthier. You don't need a lot of time, money, or even need to travel far. Host Dietrich Wright will show you what you can do easily to be more fit, healthier, have more energy, and live a better life overall. Be sure to make us a part of your weekend every Saturday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. We'd love to hear from you about today's show. Send your email to Dr. Susan at OccupyHealth.com. That's Dr. Susan at OccupyHealth.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan, and I'm with Jeanette Hyde, who has recently written the book, The Gut Makeover. We were talking about olive oil before the break, and there's been some talk about when you heat olive oil that it can become carcinogenic when heated, but you were saying that it can maintain uh, all the good stuff for about 30 minutes. So what is the story on heating olive oil? Okay, so the other thing that really convinced me that I I am going to use olive oil and recommend olive oil was, well, okay, the polyphenols in it, which are in the extra virgin at the highest quantities, they are really good food to feed your good bacteria in the gut. So as we said before, if you've, you know, you're feeding all that good bacteria up, that can help with, you know, weight loss and immune system, skin, mood, all those, all those things. So it's massively beneficial. But what I found, what was the most convincing for me was seeing what happens with 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 people who cook with extra virgin olive oil in the research. So you may have heard about the PREDIMED studies that have been done in Spain. And okay. in 2013, uh, they published, I think there were about 7,000 people in that study, and it was people who were at high risk of heart disease. And they put one half of the study on, you know, the traditional low-fat diet, and they put the other lot on extra virgin olive oil, Mediterranean diet, and having some nuts and nuts every day. And they stopped the study. It was supposed to run for seven years. They stopped it after five, around five years because basically 30% more people were dying in the low-fat group than in the group that were having unlimited amounts of fat and oil and extra virgin olive oil and the nuts, etc. And what's been very enjoyable is seeing over the, um, the, the last few years more bits of research coming out from that PREDIMED study as the researchers are delving deeper and deeper. So you would expect, and one of the things that was interesting just in the 2013 study was when they were looking at this was I went through it and I could see that they, all the people who were on the Mediterranean diet were told to cook with, you know, the extra virgin olive oil. But what was very interesting was that group, a whole liter of the stuff was delivered to their homes every single week for almost five years. So imagine, and if you know anyone who's Spanish or ever lived in Spain or hung around anybody, you'll know that everybody in Spain, they cook 
and they heat their olive oil. So the people in this study were told to just use it, you know, liberally how they normally cook their food. So these people were heating and cooking extra virgin olive oil. So you would expect when they started to look into more detail at that study that they're if, you know the whole carcinogenic thing with, with olive oil, if it was so carcinogenic, I would have expected there to be um, a lot of uh, cancer. But when they analysed all the data, there was actually less cancer in that group. So I think it's one of those things how sometimes, I think with extra virgin olive oil, I think it's really got a bad name. And I think it, it, it's very special and it's different to sunflower oil and, and other oils that don't contain polyphenols to protect them. Now, most of the vegetable oils are so highly processed and that uh, I think they really be high risk for uh, rancidity and oxidative stress. I think yeah. staying away from the vegetable oils is a good thing. So, yeah, well, okay. with, with, as I say, there, there's something different about extra virgin olive oil. And I say it's got to be the extra virgin, the first pressing. Okay. Now, if, if you would just uh, recommend three, diff- three things to use in your gut makeover diet to pr- put into practice for long term, what would they be? Well, um, it would, the first thing would be kefir. So, you know, I mean, lots of people use supplementation for probiotic supplementation. When you start looking at research on that, it's very hit and miss which ones are working or don't work or the, the bacteria actually makes it all the way to the colon where, it, where it's going to work. There's been some interest, an interesting study recently, a small one, but on real people again looking at their stool samples where, with kefir where you know, it's really clear the bacteria gets all the way through the digestive system to the colon where it can flourish. So I feel very confident about kefir because it's a real food, and I think it's just so easy. It's the kind of thing that you can just pour into your blender in the morning, put a handful of berries in there and some flax seeds, and you know, put the buzzer on, and, and you can drink it. And it's something enjoyable, tastes nice. Well, a lot of people do like it, and um, it's something you can do for the longer term. Whereas always worry with pills and so on. It's it's not something you you well, it's not ideal to be doing for the rest of your life. Or some people, you know. When I, in the past of works probiotics they're like oh my god I'm travelling next week and where will I keep it in the fridge and all that kind of thing but you might say the same thing about kefir, kefir but it is much more readily available I've, I've been to the States several times this year and I've got hold of it every single time and it's been great um, so that I think is one of those things like the fermented foods we used to have it in our diet you know decades ago or our grandmothers did I remember my grandmother telling me she was you know she was from Wales by the way in the early 20th century and I remember her telling me how she used to have to drink this um, uh, uh, sour milk or fermented milk the way she described it to me I think that they were having some sort of kefir or something very similar to it and she remember i remember her telling me that how she used to have to drink it as a child so it's just really interesting that this fermented food used to be just part of what we did and we are part of general housekeeping of keeping ourselves healthy and then as we got more and more into the you know 20th century and towards the end we were into the world of processed food and all these slow methods of um, producing food uh, went by the wayside but anyway Kefir, I think, is the most wonderful thing. It's not only the fact that it's got, you know, tens of billions of bacteria and much more than just a plain yogurt, by the way. 
but it also um, you can use it in salad dressings. You can um, have it, and I, I mix it in with olive oil and a bit of vinegar and some uh, or some lemon and some garlic, and you can put that over, you know, roasted Mediterranean vegetables, things like that. So anyway, keep it, and you can make it yourself. Is the other thing. It's very very easy to make if you really want to start doing that for yourself and the whole rest of the family. So that's that's food number one. Food number two is the extra virgin olive oil I just mentioned. I think that is absolutely food is medicine. And I think that that is something if you start to be cooking and including that as your default oil, that's very healthful. And it's got all the polyphenols in it to feed the good bacteria in the gut. And the third thing I would do is try and include deep, dark colored berries and fruits in your diet as much as you can. And this is another thing that people often think is it's got to be expensive, and it doesn't, because I was looking very recently at um, some research about frozen foods as well. And so let's say, you know, I'm going to say to you, right, blueberries are fantastic because the polyphenols in them, or I'm going to say to you, frozen, um, or just generally, um, pomegranate seeds are absolutely brilliant, you know, and I'll come back to those in a minute, they are, but you can buy those frozen. But when you start looking at the research on frozen food, the polyphenols and the fiber are maintained very high, highly in those in, in fruit and vegetables when they're frozen. So what I'm saying here is if try to include berries, that would be my third food. Long term, try and have some every day, like in a shake or in a dessert or something like that. But because the dark colours in them, the polyphenols, are very, very good for your gut bacteria. And you can even use frozen ones, and you can still get the benefits. Now, if you have a lactose intolerance, can you make kefir out of coconut milk, almond milk, cashew milk, soy milk? Okay, what's really interesting about that, you just asked if you're lactose intolerant, and there's, I presume there's a presumption there that you can't have the, um, the cow's milk or the goat's milk kefir. And this is something I've learned recently, is that kefir tends to only have about 1% lactose left in it by the time it's gone through the fermentation process. So what this means is many, many people who are lactose intolerant are able to drink kefir from cow's or goat's milk and tolerate it really well. And the other thing that I discovered working with people is that when those people who are they had thought they were lactose intolerant, or they might be, but they've tried kefir and it's had a really good impact on their digestive symptoms and so on. And and this is really interesting, must be why, is because when you drink kefir, you plant in the gut lactobacillus. And that, by having the presence of that in the gut, that helps you then be able to digest any lactose that you might be eating from elsewhere better. So do you see what I mean? If you start having the kefir, you are preparing your gut better so that if you did have a piece of, you know, something else, you know, there's not a lot of lactose in things like cheese, but there is some, you might be able to eat some of those foods more comfortably as well. What if you're sensitive to casein? Can you make it out of all these other milks? As well. Okay, so that 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 that's a really good question. So that is the thing. If you are sensitive to casein or whey, then you won't be able to have the um, 
the, the, the cow's milk kefir, in which case you can make the kefir out of coconut milk and you can make it out of water. And um, I, I haven't done it personally myself, but one of my clients has done it with almond milk recently as well. So, yes, you can culture other types of things as well with it. And how do you make it? You buy the starter and then throw it into the beverage of your choice? Okay, so the what you need to do, the most important thing is to get hold of the kefir grains. And, and have you ever seen them before? Yes. Yeah, okay, so I'll just describe them in case anybody hasn't. But they look like a kind of wet, small cauliflower. It's a very strange, and it kind of looks like a big spongy kind of growth. I'm not selling it very well, but honestly, it's you get used to it. Um, and you either need to get hold of one of these from somebody else who's got some kefir grains that have been growing too big because they grow constantly. It's like having a little monster living in your fridge. It grows and grows and grows, and then you have to sort of chop bits off and cut it back. But often people have offcuts from their own um, mother culture, and they, they'll pass those on to you. And it's unbelievable. You know, you'll see signposts. Um, I've been in several countries where, you know, you go into a health food store and they'll be on the on the um, wall, people having left messages there saying, I have extra kefir grains, you know, I'll give them people spreading the love, yoga classes, people are handing them out. It's like, it's almost like, you know, your local dealer or something. Um, and then if you don't get them from there, they're, they're often, you can get them from eBay online sellers and people will send them to you in the post. Okay, the reason, or on Amazon often as well. The reason I would say go for these um, these wet, you know, spongy-like um, kefir grains is because they produce much higher numbers of bacteria in the milks that you put them into than if you go for the freeze-dried ones. So you can buy freeze-dried as well, but they, I don't, I've tried the um, freeze-dried ones and you don't get such a good um, texture and kefir from it but also when I had a look there's a couple of reviews about kefir around at the moment and I looked in those in detail they were saying you just don't get the high numbers of bacteria in them that you get from that mother culture one as I've just described anyway so to, to tell you how you make it it's really easy you literally get hold of one of those spongy growths you 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 put it into some into a jar of milk or you know let's say it's your almond milk or your coconut milk or if you are having if you're okay with casein your cow's milk and you put it in there and you leave it for 24 hours if it's a hot day maybe longer up to 48 hours if it's in winter but you leave it somewhere warm in the house and you just leave it with like um, I put a bit of paper towel on the top with a with an elastic band and I go and then stir it once or twice during the 24 or 48 hours with a wooden spoon. I don't use metal. Metal seems to interfere with the fermentation process. And then you drain the squidgy growth off it when it looks nice and thick like a drinking yogurt and you drain it through a plastic or a, um, a sieve and then you put it in the fridge until you want to drink it and then you put the squidgy growth into a little jar with a little puddle of milk or a bit of coconut milk in it or whatever just so it's got something to live in um, in your fridge till you next need it and then you just do it again all over again but it, no, it, it's actually very I, quick and easy I notice on your diet that it's got some uh, room for goodies in there that there's some sweeteners that you actually feel that can be beneficial so what would those be? 
Um, in, in terms of sugar, I am actually um, raw. Raw honey would be um, a, su- a sugar that I would would use. I wouldn't use loads and loads of it because you're trying to, um, you know concentrate on lots and lots of variety in your diet and all the rest of it. But if you do need to sweeten something, I would use raw, unpasteurized honey because it's got a prebiotic effect then. It can help feed the good bacteria in the gut. It's a lot more expensive than the regular ones. But, you know, if if that sort of helps you portion control it, then that's good too. What about maple syrup? I use a bit of maple syrup as well. I wouldn't go mad with it, but again, that's not that isn't because it's like gut bacteria growing. I just use maple syrup because sometimes it's got it's got a high level of manganese in it, which is quite a good mineral to have, and it, I think it tastes delicious. And again, the price keeps you um, not having too much, and you start to taste that? the real sweetness in real fruit yourself when you're not loading too much other sugars on top. I find. What about molasses? I'm not using molasses. Do you use molasses? Oh, I was asking you. I think, I mean, okay, I'm guessing yeah, they've no, got something good I, in it, I but you're the expert. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I personally haven't, haven't ventured into molasses. The last time I had molasses was when I had my first baby 18 years ago. And my mother came around to my house after I'd given birth and lost a lot of blood. And she'd made me a cake made with molasses because she said it would help restore my iron levels. But I haven't ever looked into it any further or looked at what the science is on there or anything. Um, I, with the book, I tried to kind of include things that people could get hold of fairly easily. Now, you're kind of against stevia as a, for its use in our diet. Yeah, I just, I would say my main thing is I would go for the, the raw honey because of the, it being prebiotic, the manganese because of the um, the other uh, maple syrup, stevia. I still just haven't got my head around what the point is of a lot of those very trendy other sugars at the moment. I, I, I just haven't got it. I haven't. I haven't, when I've looked at it, read anything that made me go, oh, that's, that's a really good nutrient to have in my diet. And I, I just haven't, it just hasn't, you know, got past my, my, my front door, really. What's the role of bitters in our diet? Yeah, bitters, again, that's something we used to all have a lot, you know, thought, thought about, you know, centuries, in past centuries and in past decades, yeah. I think that, you know, a lot of, sometimes people think, oh, I've got to take a digestive enzyme or, you know, to, to digest my food better. And it's so important just to do a few very simple things. And you go so far on some of the simple things in life, such as bitters, which are having some bitter leaves at the beginning of your meal. So if you get back to the Mediterranean diet again, and, you know, places like Italy, there's always a little, or in France, the south of France, there's always a, a, a you know, a small portion of bitter leaves is the first thing that you sit down and eat. And the reason why I think that's such a brilliant thing to do, so you can do it with, rock, you know, uh, rocket leaves. What do you call them in American, rocket leaves? I call them rocket leaves, but also I think arugula, radicchio, chicory, yeah. grapefruit can be yeah. things that one can look at. Yeah, so we've got things like rocket leaves, chicory. We've got, um, uh, you know, 
I can't remember the name of it. There's a, that, that purple, very bitter um, salad, that the radicchio. Um, and these kind of things, you just chop them up in a bowl, you pour over some of your olive oil, a bit of balsamic vinegar, and you sit and you chew it very, very well. And that will start to get your um, hydrochloric acid flowing, your digestive enzymes being produced naturally so that you digest the rest of your meal well. And if you do that as a starter, you're getting another one of your seven-a-day um, portions of um, plants or vegetables in your, in your diet. So you clock up another vegetable instantly. So what is the role of chewing in our diet? Well, chewing, I mean, who's going to make any money telling everybody to chew their food properly? Well, um, or reminding us to eat to chew properly. The thing about chewing is when we chew our food, we produce saliva in the mouth, we, we start to produce enzymes in the mouth that start to break the food down and also you, you trigger you know, the enzymes being produced further down the digestive tract and as I said, the HCL to be produced so that they help break down your food. And so it's just, I, I say to people, try to chew each mouthful 20 times and then that might be you know, okay, if you're having a bit of avocado, it might be difficult to get up to 20. But if you're having a piece of steak, you can get up to 20 really. You can get up to 30 quite well with a piece of steak. So it's just about thinking about, you know, just getting into a good habit and trying to remind yourself to chew properly. Because I think that sometimes so many digestive ailments, if you've got to get back to the root cause, is quite often people being stressed and busy and eating at their desks and on the run and checking emails and not even thinking about chewing food properly and then wondering why they've got heartburn or something like that. I think many people just haven't made the connection. They, You know, heartburn comes along because maybe you're not producing enough. But often people think HCL, that, that heartburn is the result of too much stomach acid. It's, it's very often the result of people not producing enough stomach acid. And often you're not producing enough stomach acid because you're not chewing your food properly. And maybe you're very stressed or in a very stressed situation when you're trying to eat, like at your desk while answering emails and the phone going. So I always say to people, try and have 20 minutes away from your desk and try and sit somewhere quietly and try and chew your food properly. Before you even get into what the content of your food is, you could maybe improve quite a bit of your digestive symptoms just by doing that one thing. Yeah, because if you don't have enough hydrochloric acid in your stomach, then you don't get the digestive enzymes from the pancreas. I think that uh, you don't get enough gastrin in your stomach that can affect uh, how much acid comes up. I mean, all sorts of things happen if you don't have enough stomach acid. So I question exactly. the use of these uh, anti-acid medications that in a lot of, I think in about half the cases, it would probably make it worse. Exactly, and the, and the other problem with antacids is, is quite often it means uh, you, 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 your food doesn't get broken down very well and you actually end up with dysbiosis in the gut bacteria, which I was talking about, and then that leads to another, a whole other load of digestive problems as well. I agree, the food, get, food gets putrid. So how can we tell along this pathway if our microbiome, microbiome is getting better? 
Oh, there's some really cool testing around now. So I've been working with a company in London. It's called Map My Gut. And you may have heard about, this has been set up by Professor Tim Spector, who has written a really great book. It's called The Diet Myth. And he, this, this, this stool testing, um, that's what I'm using here in London anyway with people. And, 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 and you can measure on there, like, what your diversity looks like in your gut. And also, if, if um, different types of the beneficial bacteria are flourishing and you can see it very graphically and it's a really great thing to work with because you can look at the diversity score and you can kind of go oh my god I need to be eating a lot more variety or you can look at this other page and where it's probably got zero next to lactobacillus and you can go oh right I really do need to start drinking kefir or fermented foods. So that can just be a really good way of doing it. I know that I also sometimes in my clinical practice I use um, something called GI Effects, which is by Genova Diagnostics. That's available in the United States. And and the the tests that I do with people on that stool testing have to get sent off to the States. You can do that through functional medicine practitioners in the U.S. as well. Okay, we have three minutes left. We have three minutes left, so I would like you to uh, mention any summarizing points, important points, and how people can get a hold of you. Okay, so um, I have a website. It's JeanetteHyde.com, and that's with two N's and two T's. I'm on lots of social media, often trying to give... Uh, share ideas about how cooking and, and, and looking after your microbiome. So that's Instagram, the Gut Makeover, and on Twitter, Gut Makeover as well. And um, I am here at my clinical practice, and I run these retreats as well in Spain and here in the UK where they're very relaxed, they're three or five days long, and it's all Gut Makeover-friendly food, and I sort of teach people how to make things like kefir and there's lots of um, exercise and pilates and walking and lovely people as well and i think that relaxation is very very important to having a healthy gut too okay any final points just that this subject is getting more and more interesting and i think we're just going to see so much more on on this subject but in even more detail so i found it very interesting recently that you know, we have a particular bacteria called Akkermansia and it helps control our weight. And then I've been sort of reading recently more on the research of what you have to eat to make your Akkermansia flourish. And it's things like pomegranates, you know, I mentioned those earlier on. And green peas and things like vine leaves, you know, vine leaves that in, you know, in Middle Eastern cooking, they used to wrap up um, the rice parcels in and things like that. So I think the subject we're going to get we're going to get more and more targeted with which foods we need to eat to do the right things to the gut bacteria for all the um, downstream benefits. Okay. Well, there you go, folks. Uh, So on your own, you can start improving your gut and uh, improving your health trajectory. Most of our speakers have talked about uh, organic, healthy food, multicolors, many vegetables, etc., with some meat. And here's a, a process that you can start it on your own. Her book is The Gut Makeover. You can buy it on Amazon. So in closing, I would like to say continue your research. Look into these different things so you can help yourself and others. And please be well. Thanks, Dr. Susan. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Here's to better health for you this week. 